Hi, this is State Delegate Mark Corman, and from Wisconsin Avenue and District 16 to Pratt Street in Baltimore to the Boardwalk on the Eastern Shore and everywhere in between, Conduit Street Podcast is the go-to source for news about Maryland politics and policy. Welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here with Michael Sanderson. Michael, we're recording on Wednesday night, January 27th. How was your day today? Let's let's just jump right in. I mean, we know, we know we're going to talk about a lot of stuff that's going on around Annapolis. There's a lot to cover, but how was your day today? Normally, we'd be, you know, maybe kicking back and, and we'd all be together with the Mako Policy Team and other stakeholders around town. And we're going to do this through the podcast. I, I, I like this idea, right? This is sort of like podcast after dark sort of thing, but I, I don't know. One of the things I miss about the the legislative session is every night or two, there's sort of a download and we, we find some place to sit down and chat through the day and what are you hearing and who have you talked to? And I, I don't know. So maybe we can, maybe we can capture a little bit of that in an evening recording of the podcast and i don't know about you but i have some of the accoutrements that are usually part of the evening download so i'm i'm, I'm like like maybe a third of the way tuned up i'm, I'm ready to go tonight i hear you i i, I am also there so uh <laughs> yeah again a, a lot to go through and uh, i think this is good and, and you know what it's 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 actually you say that and it's important because it's actually cathartic you know during session at the end of the day when you're everybody's together and you're like oh my gosh this happened and you let, let's just get it all on yeah. you know, get it all out here's what's going on around town what are you hearing we have a lot of and a lot of and it's not just us everybody is saying the same thing yeah. just feeling disconnected and wanting to to talk to people to try and figure out what the heck is going on right right i, I mean honestly how many times i'm sure this has happened to you tons of times as well but i will have been in a you know day-long series of public hearings and I'm testifying in favor of some bill that we really care deeply about. And then there's some other stakeholder and it's a lobbyist or someone from a nonprofit or whatever who's testifying on the other side. And they're really concerned. They're really passionate about the bill. And then lo and behold, two or three hours later, it's happy hour or it's dinner time. And suddenly there's a wine glass and it's a chit chat with the exact same people who are on the opposite side of the bill and you talk things through sometimes it's about the bill sometimes it's about the issue other times it's just about hey this is a weird game we're in right that's i feel like that's a really a part of the fabric of doing policy work at the state level and i don't i don't know if people at the federal level get to get to have that personal touch the way we do but i don't know i'm i'm missing some of that so i don't know i don't know if this can be a proxy for that but let's let's give it a whirl with the microphones on with a podcast audience listening all right that sounds good so so let's jump right into it michael you know so i, I want to talk about the some liability bills and i know you've been covering these and these these are tricky hearings they're, they're passionate people on both sides of this but I want to talk about some specific testimony that I know you think is interesting too. 
that is one of the big topics around Annapolis, right? Is is, is liability amid the COVID nineteen pandemic? Let's let's get into that issue first. I mean, l- l- let me hear your thoughts about how this stuff is going. You've been in the hearings. Yeah, it, it was actually one of the more interesting, probably my most interesting hearing of of the last week or so. And I mean, it's, it's a fair segue, right? Ordinarily, this conversation would be held probably at one of the bistros, you know, in and around Annapolis and and so forth. But believe it or not, the owner of one of the places in 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 town, uh, you know, we don't want to get too specific. We don't have like a corporate sponsor for for the podcast or whatever. But someone who owns a den in in, in Annapolis um, uh, actually testified on a bill. And I, I thought this was an interesting angle. It's not obvious that this is a big part of what we're in the middle of. So, you know, we've talked on the podcast multiple times about this is a health crisis first and foremost. And then there's an economic component with with jobs and businesses and things like government revenues and so forth as part of the economic effects. But like down the line, there's also probably a legal and liability component to what we're in the middle of too. And earlier this week, I testified. I was I was lower on the priority list of, of speakers behind the the, uh, the 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 bar owner, but um, there were a number of businesses and employers who were talking about what's going to happen once the eventual flood of likely lawsuits shows up. There's a a bill in um, to basically say. We should try and try and make sure that if if you've been a good actor, if you if you played by the rules, if you followed all the federal and state guidelines, and you did all the right things, you acted in good faith. That's like legal terminology. Neither of us are lawyers, but that was you know appropriately deployed legal te- te- you know terminology. Right. If if you if you acted in good faith, then maybe you shouldn't be run through the ringer by every lawsuit from, well, you know, my family came to your establishment and one of us ended up with COVID several days later. And it seems like it might've been from where, from an exposure at your restaurant or your place of employment or at the place where we went to drop off our property tax payment or that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I found these really interesting and tricky policy issues about what do you do when I, I don't, I'm, I'm sure there are bad actors out there, mm-hmm. but, but I, I'm also sure that there will be some folks who will use this as an opportunity to gin up. I'll file a bunch of papers and I'll hope to get a $60,000 settlement, right? Right. And and of course, they, they are very fascinating hearings. And I, I was I was able to catch some of the, the end yesterday of one of them. And yeah, on both sides of this, of course, this is something we, we've said is going to be a big issue. We talked last week about hospitals, right, with, with Peggy and, and liability issues there. Same sort of concept here, but I guess this is more broad, right? And that's why right. you were in there too, multiple stakeholders here, because really this is a universal thing to say, hey, we understand everybody's, if, if you're doing the right thing, then you shouldn't be flooded, like you said. But of course, there are people on the other side that say, well, you can't give this blanket liability because there are, like you said, there are probably bad actors and we don't want to, to, to protect those people too. Maybe there are different motivations there also, you know, from yeah. some of these folks, but but that's essentially the argument here, right? And, and it is right. a fascinating issue. 
it's one that is really, really difficult to, to really to carve out and say, okay, here's what can work and here's what can't. And yeah. we know they're all about trying to create compromise and make everybody happy. But at the end of the day, again, this being virtual, that makes it more difficult. But regardless, this is a really tricky issue. I, I think it is. And, and one of our jobs, I mean, we represent county governments. So we're the public sector, which in some ways we're similar to other employers or other businesses, but in some ways we're really different. And I think you know, local government has an obligation to be there. So we, we don't have the circumstance where we're maybe going to go out of business. So on, on, on one level, you think, well, maybe you're not quite as sympathetic a case. But at the same time, like somebody has to answer the call when you dial 911. Someone needs to be there, and that's going to be a county employee. We mm -hmm. can't really just shutter the doors. So the idea of, you know, follow all the rules, set up the right protocols, act in good faith, and we'll absolutely do our best. And it's possible that, you know, someone ends up with an exposure along the way. But if you did your best, it's it's hard to see you running them through the ringer for that. And I, I don't know. I I, I don't envy the position the legislators are in trying to sort this out and, and find the perfect line to draw. But mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, I mean, you and I are both like policy nerds and sometimes we dwell into fiscal stuff really deeply. To me, this is like a matter of political philosophy that I find really, really intriguing. Where where do you say I mean, we, I mean, someone testified on the bill saying, let's just let all the lawsuits go and let's sort them all out in the courts. And if we have to settle them all for 40 grand here and 100 grand there, so be it. And if some businesses go belly up, so be it. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, that's 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 not a that's not a valueless point of view either. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I don't know. It's it's really interesting to me listening to a lot of that testimony and being a small part in that debate. It's fascinating, no doubt about it. It's one of the biggest issues. And, you know, I, I, another one of the, the biggest issues around town and, you know, it's it's in all of the it's in the Maryland Matters. It's in the Daily Record, the Baltimore Sun. I'm sure a lot of people have seen the governor held a big press conference. We talked about this a little bit when this happened, but he has the relief bill. You know, this is his stimulus bill. There's a lot of stuff in here. Right. You know, on day one of session, he asked the, the General Assembly to pass it right away. And, you know, you we talked about, you know, leadership said we don't even have the bill yet. Well, they have the bill. And Michael, I mean, this is moving quickly, right? This is something where, you know, they introduced the bill, I think last Wednesday, there was already hearing, you know, so so they're moving it quickly. And I think that's for good reason. If, if this is what they want to do, it, it makes sense that they move it quickly because there are tax provisions in the bill that really the comptroller needs to get moving quickly. So we understand why it's moving. There are some interesting components here. I want to talk to you, Michael. We had Vicki Gruber today, and she is the all-star. When it comes to budget and fiscal issues, most people, Vicki has forgotten more than most people know about budgets <laughs> and fiscal issues. Like That's number one, right? She's amazing, and she can dig into all this stuff. But I'm fascinated with you know the Department of Legislative Services. They They write the fiscal note for this bill. They also, when they did their budget preview, they talked about this bill. And Michael, we've seen very different numbers in terms of the overall effects. And I know there are reasons for that, but I find it fascinating that, you know, and on, on one point, they, they do the budget preview and they say, here's what we think the numbers are. Here's what we think the governor's relief act is going to cost the state and local governments. 
But then it seems like they had a little more time to dig in. And then the fiscal note for the actual bill for the Relief Act comes out. The numbers look a lot different. So I want to get your perspective of you know what that means. And we don't want to get too into the weeds here. But it is a big issue and a big story today. And then we can talk about sort of the response from leadership. But let's get into that a little bit about how, how does that work? And, and I'm sure they are up all night long crunching these numbers and trying to make sure that they're correct. But there were just a lot of different numbers, right? Yeah, and I, I, I still don't think I have a complete grasp on what happened. But certainly around town, this was like, I don't, I'm probably dating myself to say that this was like a record scratch moment, right? Sort of like everybody on the dance floor suddenly stops and the DJ, yeah. you know, you know, runs the, runs the needle right across the record and everybody looks up and says, what the heck is going on? Because right. I mean, this, this relief bill is a big deal. And we know there's lots of stakeholders who heard about it and said, yes, I want this, or there's a piece of it that I like, or I want this one change or whatever. So, you know, the, the, the spotlight is already on this topic anyway. The legislature is already getting a bunch of pressure to, you know, hear the bill, move the bill, you know, let's, let's make it happen. Let's, let's get the comptroller, all the information they need so they can change the tax laws and so forth. Okay. Well, yeah, we get, the context for all this, and then suddenly out of the blue, we hear, oh, this piece of the bill you thought was a relatively small piece of the bill, by the way, this is a nearly colossal piece of the bill, and it's, I, I don't I don't think anybody was, like, trying to pull the wool over anyone, mm -hmm. uh, you know, mm -hmm. anyone's eyes on this. Mm -hmm. I think it was just, wow, um, we misunderstood the depth of, it, this is about unemployment insurance, Mm -hmm. Lots of people got an extra benefit. Lots of people got extra time on unemployment because of the nature of this weirdness. And, and the feds showed up with some help. So a lot of Marylanders needed and got unemployment benefits. To what extent um, are we receiving taxes from that? And if the governor's bill wants to wipe out the taxes on that, how much does it affect, does it affect the, the state and the counties? And the answer as of today is a good deal more than we thought. Right. It's a lot more than we thought. And, you know, there are several components to this bill. This this bill contains direct stimulus payments for, for low-income folks. It gives businesses a break on sales taxes. And, and also, like you said, it, this is we're, we're going to exempt from state and local income tax unemployment benefits that were received. And, you know, it, it's obviously something that in every state, I mean, most states, they tax unemployment benefits. I don't think a lot of people know that. It's not just Maryland doing that. But, you know, I, I think, you know, talking to the Bureau of Revenue Estimates, right, and they're the ones who, who try to figure all this stuff out. Like, here's what we're getting. Here's what this is going to cost. And I think what happened, Michael, you know, they put out a number that was 70 million for the state, 40 million for counties. And they're trying to determine a lot of people that got stimulus checks also get the earned income tax credit. Right. And when they get that earned income tax credit, that wipes out any taxes that they were going to pay on their unemployment benefits anyway. So that was the question of how many people are, are we going to get that got a stimulus but also got the earned income tax credit? And so we're not going to get any tax revenue for those folks. That's where I think this issue arose because they were wrong and yeah. they, they didn't expect it to be this much. So at the end of the day, the the overall impact for locals, remember the initial estimate was about 40 million. 
we find out, you know, as DLS is giving a fiscal briefing to the House Ways and Means Committee, the fiscal note for that bill comes out and it says $185 million for counties just in fiscal 21, way more for the state. And so you're right. It was a hair on fire moment. I'm texting people on the Ways and Means Committee saying, oh, my gosh, have you seen this fiscal note? Like they're literally getting the briefing on the budget. <laughs> <laughs> and they're asking these questions. Well, I, I have this fiscal note now and it says it's different. And everybody was just on their heels trying to respond, I think. But now the dust has settled a bit. And Michael, we know it's a big fiscal impact. It's way more than people thought. But we also have a now not a counter proposal because this is sort of an add on to what the governor wants to do. But yeah. leadership today in the House and the Senate, they released their own package to provide direct stimulus. And the idea here is we're going to provide it quickly, right? So now there are two components to this. I think they want to merge them into one bill. They want to use the governor's bill to move, you know, the second package too. But that also adds another interesting element here. Yeah, I, I, I think, I mean, first of all, the, the state is in the difficult position of trying to fill in the gaps of what probably should have been an effort at the federal level. I mean, we talked about this back in June and July about the need for a second round of COVID response that had support for state and local governments. And if Congress had been able to pull through with what I think would have been a sensible effort in the summer or in the early fall or in the late fall, then we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. We wouldn't be having a Maryland-based conversation about the still urgent needs for our, you know, our workers who can't find a place to work or, um, you know, the, 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 companies and businesses who are still teetering on bankruptcy for for lack of opportunity that you know we'd be looking at better circumstances because we'd we'd have sort of a safety net for all of them the feds didn't come through they came through in a limited way in the month of december and now we've got rumors of something that may happen but like that's part of why we're in this boat but i i think you know so an Annapolis-based response is probably coming. It starts with the governor's package. It sounds like it will include some added elements that the legislators have been focusing on for the last you know number of days. And I I, I think I think we're going to count this in days, not weeks. Do you think that's fair? Like like something's this isn't going to be a like you know count on it by you know by the end of February. It's more like maybe by the end of January. No, no doubt about it. I think that the liability stuff would be you could put in the bucket of late February, right? That that might take longer. Right. This, yeah. though, like you said earlier, the reason why this has to move quickly is because of the components in the bill that require the comptroller's folks to be able to get set up and ready to process this and get those checks out right. the door. And so it behooves them to get this done quickly. And it is moving very quickly, as we yeah. mentioned before. I think the idea that in the Senate, at least, they want to get a bill on the floor next week. So, you know, it is days, not weeks. You're right about that for sure. Right. So, I mean, I, I, I think we can, we, can, we can mentally imagine that something's coming. It's coming together quickly. The details are TBA, but the framework makes sense, right? We're worried about Maryland businesses. We're going to try and provide some relief at that level. We're worried about, you know, workers and working families who are still low income as among those who are probably hardest hit 
by the times we're in, and that's part of the governor's plan too. And then like the specifics you do beyond that, I think are negotiable and what this, you know, this piece is in and this piece is out. I, I think there's a lot of give and take happening there. And there, there's maybe even more to talk about there. But um, I, I think a big sort of relief plan coming from the state level is in the offing soon. And in, in, in the space of a week or two, we'll probably be talking in the past tense about what's in the Senate plan, what's in the House plan and what's, you know, what's a done deal. No doubt about it. And I mean, we, we've talked about the rainy day fund before, and it, it looks like, you know, part of this is they're going to dip into the rainy day fund. So, you know, that's all good stuff. And, and we're, we're wonky, but I don't, I think once we see what actually happens, because again, this is all moving quickly. Yeah. There are a lot of moving parts here. And when we talk about it in the past tense, maybe we can break it down a little bit more, but <laughs> bottom line, there's a big package coming. It's coming quickly. It's, it's, it's being fast tracked, no doubt about it. There are multiple components to it and we'll have to see exactly what happens but stay tuned for that yeah. michael look we, we've we've all been on the zoom hearings and i think people are really starting to get the hang of it now it, it seems like things are going better there's always always some quirky stuff and, and of course there are people with internet connectivity issues which brings me to <laughs> what else is cooking out there and broadband is a really really hot topic and this is something yeah. we talked about it seems like we're right on the money michael is this is a MAKO legislative initiative for this session, and we're not alone, right? I think there are so many people that, that want to see meaningful progress for broadband. We know this is an issue in every single jurisdiction. It's not just a rural issue. It's, a, it's an everywhere issue. It's in every, every county issue we have issues with connectivity. But there are multiple right. bills out there, Michael, Michael and, yep. and not even including you know, the MAKO initiative bill, which is also there. So what are you seeing with broadband? I know that I have, you know, and I'm sure you do too, reporters calling and asking about this. And this is, a, this is just a hot topic because again, yeah. we got kids in the parking lot at McDonald's doing their homework. We have people that can't access the internet to do health, telehealth. And we have people that are having trouble working from home because they lack this access. So multiple bills, Michael, what's your read? What's going on yeah. out there? It, it is, it's, it's like the sneaky big issue this session. And I, I mean, I, I don't want to overshadow. We just talked about the sort of immediate relief uh, legislation and, and, and liability and last week's conversation about public health issues, vaccination and so forth. I mean, those things are the obvious headline grabbers of the moment, but you almost can't sit through any committee's work for a day this session without running into broadband as an underlying policy matter that everyone's concerned about. And you, know, you, just, you just ticked off some of the obvious illusions, but we're talking about public health issues right now and the ability for people to access healthcare through telehealth is a game changer, but not everybody is there because too many Marylanders are in underserved areas and they don't have a connection satisfactorily or reliable enough so they can talk to a doctor or share an image or that sort of thing. And same thing with, with kids. Like we're in the midst of a, a giant policy debate about reopening schools and what's the right timetable and how do you do it safely. And a huge part of that is we've got way too many school children who are in a family situation where they don't have reliable broadband access to do remote schooling. And that's a meaningful part of why, you know, many voices, including the governors are saying, let's do all we can to get people back 
in-person schooling. I mean, you know, that that's a super complicated issue that's worth a two-hour podcast on its own, but a piece of it traces right back to broadband availability. So, I mean, no surprise, over the summer and fall, when our county leaders sat down and said, what are we really going to focus on this year? They were saying broadband needs to be on that short list because it affects everything. I think they were right about that. And if you're a senator or a delegate sitting through legislative hearings right now, you can't help but come away with a sense that, yeah, this is a really big issue and we need to be laying some fiber, but we also need to come up with some patchwork solutions and we need to have better practices and better guidelines and technical assistance and all of the above, right? Right. And I mean, the good news is, like we said, everybody seems to be on the same page. Everybody has the same end goal in mind. There may be some different ways about how to go about doing that. But, you know, uh, we are very excited. Senator Katie Fry Hester and Delegate Jessica Feldmark are, you know, carrying the MAKO bill. And it's an initiative bill. Again, it's super important. But Delegate Brooke Learman and Senator Sarah Elfrith have a have another great bill. Mako supporting right. that as well. Delegate Carol Krim has a broadband bill that we supported as well. And we'll we'll get Drew Jabin on here to talk more about broadband because this is this is her issue area. She's very involved in the Mako yeah. initiative, and she supported the bills that I mentioned earlier. But there are a lot of folks signed up in support of these bills. You don't see much opposition, if at all. And I think, again, everybody has the same goal in mind. It's just we have a lot of different ideas about how to get there. And I think at the end of the day, we're going to see, you know, a bill that includes a lot of different components and it, it's going to make meaningful progress. I have no doubt about that, Michael. I, I, I agree. I think I think it has to happen this year. There's there's too many arrows pointing in the right direction for this to slip by. So, yeah, we're, we're going to get something done this year. I've, I'm, I'm optimistic and I'm hopeful that this will be rapid progress for an awful lot of you know families who right now are underserved. And let's talk next about health, right? And public health is another MAKO initiative, Michael. We've talked about this before. We know that our local health departments need help, right? They are in the midst of a pandemic. And I think everybody, again, this is one where everybody sort of acknowledges my goodness, we got to make sure that our local health departments are well-funded. We now see how important these people are. And yeah. I'll say there, there's not, and we've talked before about maybe some stuff sticks after the pandemic. Maybe we do to, you know, take some things away from this that we can hang on to. I'll, I won't say that anything good comes from the pandemic. However, I will say that the, the, the issue of broadband and making sure that our local health departments and frontline first responders are well-equipped well-trained and well-funded is something that I think has caught everybody's eye and everybody seems to be really understanding the importance of, of making meaningful progress in both of those areas. So maybe that's something we can take away is, hey, it really it raised public awareness around these issues and something we've been talking about for years, but now everybody is sort of keyed in on, okay, we really need to do something. Yeah. And I mentioned it's a MAKO initiative. Michael, you're working on this one. We had a bill drop, right, this week, which the bill was introduced formally. Talk a little bit about that and, and what you're seeing out there in terms of public health. Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, it, it, it's it's an obvious big issue for those of us in local government. And we have, we're playing the difficult hand of we have the unsexy side of an important topic. So, 
we, we know that right now what everybody's really focused on is making sure we've got PPE and we're getting vaccinations out and so forth. And the public health effort has been extraordinary and absolutely heroic. And we all are hoping that Maryland continues, you know, our, our acceleration to get people vaccinated and to get people safe and so forth. But what's kind of lying in the background is we probably haven't done a great job supporting the boring stuff in public health and particularly the front lines of public health, which in Maryland are the local health departments. So this is, this is a, it's an awkward conversation to say, yeah, you know, believe it or not, for the last 10 years, we've kind of decided this is something we didn't have to fund very, very respectably. And it's, you know, it's, it's an awkward conversation to have. Um, I'm really happy that, that Senator Melanie Griffith, who has a background as a planner in a local health department and kind of speaks that language, uh, was interested in this bill has introduced a bill on behalf of our local health departments. Um, she'll be working with uh, Delegate Kirill Resnick in the House. Um, he's a subcommittee chair in appropriations who has you know province over, over these topics. Um, I don't know where this fits exactly, whether this ends up being a priority for some federal money yet to come or whether you can pass a bill that says the state money needs to be X, Y, and Z in future years. But let, let's make sure we're doing right for the boring stuff, but important things like the information systems so that our departments can talk to one another about what they're seeing with communicable diseases. I mean, that sounds pretty important, but at any given moment, it's not the most exciting thing to do. And those things sometimes slip by. So let's, let's not let that slip by anymore. Um, I think it's an important bill. I hope we get, I hope we make up some ground on that. Absolutely. And as you mentioned, this is something we've been talking about for years. And again, I, I just think now everybody understands the importance because we've all seen our frontline yeah. folks and, and right. what they're doing to, to save lives. I mean, right, like you said, it's it's heroic. So it's time that we really address this issue and hopefully yeah. we can make some meaningful progress there. Michael, I also want to talk about public safety issues. Uh, look, coming into this session, we said the General Assembly is going to be focused on the pandemic. They're going to be focused on providing relief. They're going to be focused on vaccine distribution and, and getting through this as, with you know the best that we can, getting back to normal. One of the other issues, of course, it has to do with, with the police, right, and public safety. And yeah. you know, we know this is coming. We know police reform is something that is on the top of many folks' agendas in Annapolis. There are multiple proposals. It's hard to keep track, you know, uh, and you're actually covering this portfolio this session, Michael. And when we, go, when we go through the bills as a MAKO policy team, it seems like, my goodness, there are just a lot of different bills. A lot of them do similar things, but, you know, let's talk a little bit about that. Let's not get too deep into this, but folks need to know that this is also happening and they are hearing a lot of different ideas in terms of how, you know, maybe we can make some reform and, and also, I think, get law enforcement on on the team, right? And I think a lot yeah. of times they understand it and they're there saying, look, we know we need to do some stuff different, but but what's going on with, with all these bills? What is the plan? What are you hearing is, is what they're going to do? Like, what's going to emerge from this session? Yeah, I, I think... Um I'm, I'm probably not equipped to answer the, you know, what is the plan question, because that's that's sort of on everybody's mind. I, I do think that if this is a topic that interests you as a listener and 
you want to know, hey, is, is, is Annapolis going to do something here? I think the answer is unequivocally yes. I, I think we'll probably see the most meaningful changes to sort of police accountability laws probably in certainly a generation. So I, I think Maryland, like a lot of states and a lot of jurisdictions, is, is, is going to rethink a number of things. A, a number of those things are going to be at the level of sort of accountability for officers who do something that we're worried about. And what do you do for the police department or for the law enforcement agency who hired that person? Who uh, Did they give that person enough training? Did they have enough background? Was there clear enough policy over when do you use force? When do you use your lethal weapon? And, and so forth. So a lot of this stuff is police procedure. And, you know, you, you, you and I are not you know, deeply well equipped to talk in a, in a bunch of detail about that. But I, I think there's also broader issues of making sure the state laws point in the direction of transparency and accountability um, we want to make sure that there's trust in those who we place that great responsibility as law enforcement officers. Um, you know, local governments hire them, but that is that is an enormous responsibility to be, you know, to be in that capacity. To you put your hands on people as part of your job uh, to help keep the peace and to protect and to serve. We don't want that to go sideways. So we we want things. To work out for the best. Um, getting from here to there is going to be complicated. We've seen a slate of bills come in in the House of Delegates, and I think it's just any day before we see the same, you know, not not the same bills, but probably a probably I would put complementary slate of proposals from leadership in the Maryland Senate. I think in the space of the weeks ahead, not weeks and weeks, but like the next two, three, four weeks. I think there's a window of time for, you know, probably multiple bills to come together to change some of this accountability, transparency. Some of it might be about funding and liability and so forth. And there's some things that'll bring local governments themselves to the table, but it's a bigger societal conversation. And I don't think it's any surprise Maryland is going to play a part in that conversation from a policy perspective. And we did get something of a running start by having both the House and the Senate engage on this topic back in the fall and into the early winter months. So they're not starting right now. They're starting with a work product that is, is the result of some months of effort already. Absolutely. And, and look, you mentioned it's not just Maryland. I mean, look, we, we all over the summer, it was a really tough summer. Right. And I think everybody now is dealing with a sort of a reckoning. But but I am I'm hopeful that we come out on the other side of this when we, we do what we do. We make some reforms. We, we, we make better yeah. accountability and transparency and then we can start to heal. Right. Because I, I know we, we had again, we just have had a really rough summer, a rough year. But this is this is something that's been brewing, Michael, and it, it's going to happen. It's not just in Maryland. It's across the country. Now, even at the federal level, you may see some, some things happen. But I, I really do. I, I think that there will be some meaningful legislation that comes out of here. And it's just a matter now of getting the stakeholders to the table and talking to one another. And, and that's really what makes Annapolis work well. This is this is a collaborative effort. Again, it's harder when you're remote and dealing with these really, really important policy issues and having deep thinkers 
on all sides of the issue and, and bringing them together. But again, I agree with you. I think that this is coming and things are moving quickly, right? And we talked yeah. about, that. we know they're off to a quick start. And, you know, in some cases, Michael, things are moving a little too quickly, right? Oh, and, at least from where we sit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, first of all, it's really tough for for you and I as denizens of this Annapolis community, even if a, a good deal of our work is remote right now, but still, like this Annapolis culture, there there is a long history of a soft January, for lack of a clearer term. The idea of spending the first three weeks of session sort of milling around and letting ideas percolate and you hear a rumor that a delegate is working on a bill and so-and-so wants to be a co-sponsor of the bill. And the next thing you know, the bill's been changed because the co-sponsor had a new idea. That's a really common story that we would be, we would be sharing that story at the Annapolis based bistro on a Wednesday night in you know, mid to late January. Right. That, I mean, but, but it would all be, thinking about, yeah, when, when that bill is in and it's going to get its hearing, boy, that's going to be something. It, instead, we're already having the conversations that we're used to having in the middle of February right now. I mean, committees are having day-long schedules of hearings. They are already not, not hip deep, but like neck deep in complicated policy stuff. I mean, we, you know, all the things we've been mentioning about all these broadband bills and, and, you know, the stuff about liability and the relief act and so forth. I mean, this, this stuff is, they're having their public hearings, committees are voting bills out. Things are moving super, super quickly. Um, it's, it's amazing. It's almost breathtaking. No one, no one's going to, no one's going to cry any tears for people like you and me who do this stuff for a living, but it's unbelievable. It really is unbelievable. And, you know, I, I, I think that everybody is trying their best. And, and we mentioned there are certain bills that they need to move quickly on. You know, there are different requirements this session. We've mentioned them. That includes getting testimony in multiple days in advance. That's something that's different. I mean, typically, Michael, if you introduced a bill today and I said, OK, I'm going to have a hearing on it tomorrow, you could type up testimony tonight and then we could drop it off in the morning and, and get signed up and, you know, we're ready to go. Maybe we were able to get our legislative committee together. So if it's a Wednesday like it is today, the bill came in last night, they took a position, you write up testimony. And then tomorrow <laughs> morning before the hearing, you know, you can go and sign up for the bill. Again, now with multiple days, you, you need a multiple day lead time to have your testimony in. You got to get for stakeholders, organizations like us. I mean, we have a legislative committee. We're driven by our membership. They take positions on bills. So that adds another layer. But Michael, we, we've seen some bills get really quick hearing dates. And, you know, it's tough, again, when you have to get the testimony in so far in advance and you have, you're, you're a member-driven organization, they, they have to convene yeah. and vote. Again, I know the General Assembly is doing the best that they can. There's no doubt about that. They don't want anybody to miss anything. They wanna give everybody due process and they wanna hear from the stakeholders that they need to hear from. But again, you know, you don't want to ever miss bills and feel like when you should be in the room, you're not just because you couldn't you couldn't get there because it's just that it's everything's too fast and the multiple day lead time for, for bills and getting your people together to vote. It's just hard. So talk. I mean, I don't want to get too much into it again. No one's going to feel bad. But I think it's an important element because, again, you, you want to hear from the stakeholders that you need to hear from. I, I think it's it's more than you want that. I mean, I. 
I, I think the the General Assembly, the legislative process, is really meant to be the place for the most transparent and the the most participatory discussion of public policy, right? I mean, I mean, you know, the executive branch can hold a meeting or they can have a strategy session and so forth, but that's different. The 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 legislative process is intended to be public and. I, I think I think you laid it out exactly right that everyone's trying to do their best and we want to keep we want to keep the system safe we want to keep the members safe we want to keep the public safe and so a lot of the work is being conducted remotely in order to do that we need a couple days lead time to get everything submitted and get people you know the the, the invitations so they can participate in the hearings like I, I, I get all that. You do too, right? I mean, I mean, it's it's an adjustment for us. Right. We we all understand that. But then, if you overlay the, the the reasonable precautions for where we are, along with the inevitable pressures that you know the governor says, pass my bill on the first day of session. Well, we can't do that, but we'll we'll move things along as fast as possible. And then you have the relief bill get scheduled in a matter of just a few days, and if a couple of those days are the lead time that the committee needed for signups, you end up with like 24 or 36 hours for stakeholders to read the bill, decide what to say, submit it, you know, and, and, and so forth. It, it's, it just ends up being almost an impossible squeeze. Nobody benefits from a public hearing where not everybody can participate. So I, I don't know. I, I, I think everyone's doing their best and, you know the rattling of chains that's out there is maybe it serves a purpose, but in the broader context, like we all want this to work. I mean, I think that's really the bottom line. We want this system to work. We want Mako to be at the table, and everybody else around town who has to go through a deliberative process to decide here's what the bill is and here's what our members think, and we've you know given them the guidance they need to take their positions. There's there's lots of stakeholder-driven associations and membership groups around town who are important players in the policy process. So I don't know. We've we got to iron out some kinks, I think. Absolutely. And look, the bottom line here is this session, Michael, I think it, I mean, for me at least, it's fair to say, I don't think there have been this many complicated issues at the top of everybody's list. Also <laughs> trying to do it virtually in the middle of a pandemic, it's hard. And yeah. again, th th we've talked about some of these issues that are super, super, super complicated, so many different stakeholders, and they have tons of those this year, right? And again, they're in the middle of a pandemic, we're doing this remotely, it's hard, but look, work out some kinks. But I think overall, I could say, things are going pretty well, people are getting used to the Zoom, you know, people are logging in, they get it. So I, I you know, people are getting used to this, it's, it's, it's getting better. But yes, certainly some kinks to iron out. And I think everybody can understand and give people a little bit of slack. But you're right. I think it, it benefits everybody to have relevant stakeholders at the table because, look, the bottom yeah. line is they're experts in this stuff. You and me, we know county governments. We have our friends, they know the municipalities at MML. You have all these different stakeholders that you need at the table because you don't understand what something means for that group unless they're there to tell you. And that's not just me and you needing to be there to represent counties. It's also... The, the members needing to hear so that they understand exactly what they're doing and they can craft the best policy that that they can, right? So a yep. little bit of a rant there, some kinks to iron out, but overall I think things are going pretty well. 
Yeah, I, I I think that's that's well said, and like we're we're collectively in this together. We're like we are participants in this larger process, but I think we all want the process to work well and serve everybody's needs. So I mean, it's yeah, we're we're making the best of a tough situation. Hats off to the president and speaker for forging a system that gives us the opportunity to basically like quibble about relatively small issues like this. I mean. We're having a functioning session, and under the circumstances, that wasn't a sure thing 90 days ago. So, I mean, hats off for getting us this far. No doubt about it. So, Michael, it's, you know, Wednesday night. It's it's late, although, you know, I feel like it's early because I, I don't think I'm not going to sleep anytime soon. And I'll tell you, it's a little <laughs> bit late. Normally, I probably would be asleep. But I think this, the, the Conduit Street podcast after dark is pretty good. Maybe. And I, I Maybe. Like I, don't know. I don't know. Yeah, Maybe I like it. I like it. I like it. And again, again, I think this is good. And we'll try to do this more, I think, uh, just sort of going through the day and things are moving fast. So so we got to get this stuff out. But I enjoyed it, Michael. We'll leave it there for today. Any closing thoughts before we before we jump? No, I, I think um, I think your idea of bringing our colleagues into the conversation uh, will make this feel to me even more like our sort of all right, let's go round the horn. What do you have to say? What what happened today? What have you been hearing? What do you know? Uh, that's one of my most rewarding parts of a day during session. And if we share that with our listeners, with Drew and Alex and maybe some other stakeholders, um, I would look forward to that too. I like this idea. We'll make that a priority, no doubt about it. I look forward to it. But Again, we'll, we'll be doing this soon, and we'll be back very soon to, to bring you the latest. Things are moving quickly, so definitely stay tuned. But as, as always, if you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe. That way, all of these episodes will be sent directly to the device of your choice. You can also follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and most importantly right now, because it's just nonstop being updated, is the Conduit Street blog. All of our testimony is there. You can, t- you can find everything we've talked about right there on the blog. But... For Michael Sanderson, this is Kevin Canale signing off, and we will talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.